Hey everybody, this is Mark Danzi, and I want to say again, thanks for listening to the 419 Disciple Makers podcast. If you're listening to this, it's because you're interested in being all that God has uh, created you to be, to grow into the fullness of Christ. And every year we have a conference here at Mount Pisgah, and this year our conference is Empowered, Grow into the Fullness of Christ. And we want to invite you to be a part of this. Uh, Stephen Macchia will be here, he'll be our presenter, he's a conference speaker, a ministry coach, a spiritual director, and it's going to be Friday, August 23rd. 7 to 9 p.m. and Saturday, August 24th, 9 a.m. to noon. So often we are working and volunteering and serving, and it actually can leave us exhausted at the end of the day, but this isn't the kind of life that the Lord envisioned for us. Actually, our serving, our working should be a fulfilling, enriching experience. You can go to our website uh, and get more information, mountpisgah.org backslash empowered. We really hope to see you there and uh, join us as we get empowered. In Matthew 4.19, Jesus says, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Join us in this conversation as we discuss following Jesus, leadership, and doing life with others. Welcome to the 419 Disciple Makers Podcast. Hey everybody, this is Mark Danzi with 419 Disciple Makers Podcast, and today we are blessed to have Michael Jordan with us. Uh, Welcome, Michael. Well, thank you. It is such a joy uh, to be with you. You were an incredible basketball player back in your... No, I'm just kidding. This is a different Michael Jordan. But Michael is uh, used to that kind of joke uh, because I do that to him all the time. So <laughs> uh, they, they generally remember my name, but may not remember me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, well, let's just take a moment of silence here. I know <laughs> you told me some funny stories before about going into a restaurant, calling ahead with a reservation, right? Telling them it's Michael Jordan, and then what happens? Well, or getting on an airplane or checking into a hotel, and you tell them your name, and they have this look of disappointment on their face, <laughs> like he do- he doesn't fly commercial, and he doesn't stay in a courtyard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the downside of having a famous name is that it usually ends up in people being deeply disappointed when they actually meet you, huh? Hopefully only at the beginning. <laughs> well, our people are not going to be disappointed today in you. You are a wellspring of information and and, uh, fun, and I I love you as a brother. And so um, here in this podcast, as you know, Michael, you've listened to him. We're just trying to bring the conversation of disciple-making to the forefront for people. And so whether you're on a treadmill or in traffic today, I hope that you're going to be encouraged by this conversation. And um, Michael, your story is absolutely amazing. I wish we had three hours uh, for our listeners today to hear it, but since we don't, uh, tell us a little. I know you were you've lived all over the world, right? I have. Name some of the countries you you lived in. Uh, well, my my dad was military, um, so I was born as a military brat in the Air Force, and we moved around quite a bit. Um, I tell people I think I'm from Florida, um, <laughs> but there was uh, three or four stints overseas. But I I remember Ethiopia and I remember Taiwan. How about that? Um, so, so, you know, I, I guess at an early age, I had a perspective of, uh, living in a different culture, just didn't know how that was going to prepare me for later in life. Yeah. So you're a kid living in Ethiopia. I was fifth and sixth grade. How about that? Not many of us can say that brother. <laughs> well, I promise you that. But then you come back to the U S and you go and you play baseball at Georgia tech. I did. As a matter of fact, I am a rambling wreck. Um, 
you know, and that was always my uh, ambition was to go to Georgia Tech. I guess I would say and play baseball also. Um, I wished I'd had enough foresight to say it was all about the education. But there was a point where I saw some kids who were really good, and I said, I'm never going to make it to the major leagues. I'd better get a good education. <laughs> it dawned on you, huh? The baseball wasn't going to pay your mortgage. One it day, was, was not. It? Well, you went into the, uh, after college, I know you went into the corporate world and uh, you did pretty well. You climbed the ladder of success, so to speak. Yeah, I would say as my wife describes it, you know, after we got married, my hair was on fire <laughs> and I would move her anywhere as evidenced by Fort Wayne, Indiana and Detroit, Michigan. Oh, God. Uh, but I did. I woke up at an early age, uh, 32, 33 years of, years of age, and I was the CEO of an automation company, about 200 employees, 150, 200 million in sales, and I was um, not prepared for that. How about that? How did, what happened to make you realize you weren't prepared for that? You know, I guess part of it was a little bit of the loneliness. When you get to the, a certain point in your career, you're not allowed to think out loud because uh. people think that's an order. And, um, you know, they look to you to have the answers when many times you don't have the answers. And it's not necessarily a good thing to project that. I gotcha. You know, which is, is one of the things as, you know, my spiritual life continued to grow is um, just this understanding that you, you don't have to have all the answers. Mm -hmm. Okay. You just need to look to him and, you know, and he will give you the guidance. And that doesn't always mesh with this performance culture that, you know, we have. <laughs> I think God, in, in His infinite wisdom, uh, keeps some of the answers from us. I really, I, we couldn't handle all that information anyway at once, you know. And I think it keeps us looking to the source of life, keeps us on track uh, when we got to go to Him for the answers. No doubt about it. Well, He's had a way of waiting until uh, later in my life to unveil some, some truths and some, uh, yeah. some wisdom. So you're on this fast track. You rise to the top of the corporate ladder. Uh, then what happens? Well, we ended up uh, moving to Atlanta and um, had our second child. And as I've heard uh, the story told a couple of times, I had a drug problem. My wife drugged me to church. Yeah. <laughs> and she said, we're going to raise our daughter in the church. So uh, that's what we did. And at the age of 40, I find my, found myself for the first time sitting out there in a pew and going, why is that pastor preaching only to me? Yeah. <laughs> I wished he would preach to everybody else yeah. in the congregation. <laughs> targeted. I felt a little targeted. <laughs> you don't think your wife was calling him on Saturday night and giving him sermon material, do you? Not that I'm aware of. <laughs> so you're sitting in a pew, you're, you're feeling this, uh, like God's speaking to you, and uh, what comes next? You know, it was, it was a, a slow uh, series of events, um, a combination of, you know, wanting to serve, um, sitting out in the pews, watching other people go on global mission trips and going, you know, why am I still stuck in the pew? Why am I not mm. saying yes? Um, and then a series of invitations by, um, you know, people who cared for me, who knew that, you know, kind of reaching out and inviting me into a, a a deeper relationship with Jesus and and to taking some of those steps out of the comfort zone, um, those personal invitations went a long way. How about that? Yeah, it it's really makes the difference, doesn't it? Uh, if, in my case, it did. I mean, there, there's hearing it from the pulpit, and there's you know feeling that tug that you know many of us did, and then there's that that person who comes along at just the right moment. Um, and, and, and ask a question or, or makes an invitation that makes you come face to face. Am I going to say yes or no? 
Ah, it's a line in the sand, huh? Uh, uh, somewhat, somewhat. You know, I think they never felt like that, but yeah, yeah. I think Proverbs twenty-five. I think it is. It says that the, a word in a do a do word in fit season is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Sometimes just a word spoken or an invitation given can just be so priceless, so valuable. That was certainly your story. It was, and, and um, I, as I've learned later uh, through a, a variety of uh, opportunities to serve, is um, you know, there's there's no circumstances. There's a plan. That person was put in my way at that time yeah. to provide you know either something that I needed or to point me to something I should be yeah. uh, uh, considering. So you go on your first. So you said yes to the invitation. I did finally. Yeah. <laughs> what was that like? Well, you know, I was. Um, it'd be interesting. In full disclosure, um, had never been on a global mission trip. We were going to Costa Rica, and I was um, naive enough to ask the question, well, what do I do if a Catholic comes up to me on the street? So <laughs> if that gives you a, a sense of my spiritual maturity at the yeah. time I went on my first mission trip. Um, but the first one was to Costa Rica, and um, I, I guess if I had to describe it in a term, um, worshiping and another culture. Um, opened my eyes to it's just he's not just my Jesus he's not just my God this yeah. is a big God and and uh, yeah. I always find it interesting that that first time you go on a mission trip you think you're taking Jesus to them well I f- I found Jesus on that first mission trip how about that yeah you know for gospel of the world and uh, I agree with you you go and worship with other cu- in other cultures with your brothers and sisters in Christ and. You hear some familiar songs, you hear familiar prayers in different languages and realize, wow, God is so big. He is. And and, and two other things that uh, I think initially stood out to me, one was this notion of um, we want God, you know, here in the Western culture and in many parts of the world, they need God and seek mm-hmm. God for their very existence. Yeah. And um, I guess the other is just so many different ways of worshiping and praising that the the Holy Spirit has a way of showing up in, a, in, a, in another culture in some very special ways. And if you don't go, you don't experience that. Uh, I would agree with that. Yeah. And so you went on, started going on mission trips after that, huh? I did. Yeah. How I many did. mission trips have you been on now probably since that? Oh, my gosh. Since you're sitting in the pew uh, at 40 years old thinking the pastor is talking to you, huh? You know, probably 25 to 30. Global mission trips. Global mission trips. Wow. You've been along. Isn't it neat, though, to think about, even from your childhood, you know, moving around the world, that God was just preparing you for what his plan would be one day? Uh, It is, especially when you look back. I mean, you get to a certain age and you start taking stock and go, well, why did this happen in my life? And why did that happen in my Mm -hmm. life? And, you know, at least for me, I'll, I'll speak to, you know, why have I been so blessed with uh, a wife, beautiful wife, and a and, and a great family, and all this success, you know, and just coming to answer that question, why me? Mm. You know, why was I placed here, and why were these things given to me? And learning that they're not mine. Yeah, I just, you know, it, it is a, a it's a continual process, but I think also just seeing um, uh, how passionate people who are um, following Christ. And uh, learning about Christ for the first time, and and what they're willing to do to make Him known in, in some places yeah. of the world, um, it has really been uh, a boost for my faith journey. Well, I know you and I both have walked in the Kabira slums of Kenya, and walking through that desperate place, you just think, 
you know, God, I could have easily been born here. I could have been raised here, but you had a different plan. And it just just creates gratitude, doesn't it? You know, it it does. And it's funny. We happen to have been in in Kenya at the same time. And Mm -hmm. I can remember the day after we walked through that I I couldn't talk that night. I mean, just processing everything that we had seen. But but you're right. People scraping by just daily life. Yeah. Um, In in ways much worse than your imagination would take you to. But there is an element, and there is. You know, when I when I see that, and you know, I, I see the surroundings we're in, and the kind of affluence that we're in is. You know, those of us who are blessed were put on this earth to be a blessing to others, and and you do feel that. You know, by by the grace of God, mm. I was born where I was and given the opportunities that I've been given. Yeah. So you've had some pretty wild experiences, I imagine, doing twenty five plus global mission trips. Now, are there any in your experience uh, in your faith journey that stand out? You could tell us about. There's a couple. Um, I think when you go and you serve with the persecuted church mm. and you have a chance to worship with and be with and and to um, dive into God's Word together and and, and helping train um, church pastors, um, it, it will impact you when you are worshiping with and serving with someone who is willing to risk their lives to make Jesus known. Mm. Um, there, there's... Um, there are special blessings given to the persecuted church. We had the opportunity to spend several years um, interviewing underground church leaders from a Middle Eastern country, mm-hmm. coming out and hearing their testimonies. Wow! And um, yeah, humbling is is a word that that comes to mind. But the other one that comes to to mind is just seeing that kind of active faith. Yeah. Um, it challenges me to be more active in my faith. Yeah, it is. It is staggering to hear some of their personal testimonies of in these Middle Eastern countries and that, where Christianity is illegal. Uh, of how Jesus Himself shows up in their life, uh, how they have visions, angels. Uh, you know, we don't hear about that much in in the West, uh, in the United States, about you know God just appearing before someone. But but that's the kind of that's what the Lord is doing in those places, isn't it? Because missionaries really can't go in. Uh, so to speak, and so God is just instead of waiting on missionaries to go in, is just doing going Himself. Yeah, you know it is, and 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 it's um, I, I guess the easiest way to to describe it is when you're listening to the testimonies, you know, and the first three or four times you hear them, you know, our Western ears yeah. it just sounds foreign, but you know, well, I, I struggled to believe it at first listening to it. 20, 25, 30 of them, there's a theme throughout of yeah, them yeah. that um, if you're serving and you're you're under persecution, um, I think there are, are special blessings for those people. And yes, uh, audible conversations, mm-hmm. uh, visions, healings, they were routinely in the kind of the fabric. And, and you have to understand, these are people who are uh, moving away from a religion um, to Jesus, and they're putting their lives at risk for doing doing so. Wow. Takes our comfortable Western culture Christianity to a place we almost can't experience. Uh, or understand sometimes, yeah, yes. Yeah, you can grasp it. So God is using you in this uh, 
all over the mission field, going to different places, inviting. I bet by now you're inviting other people to go on mission trips versus uh, you being invited, huh? They can almost see when I walk up that I know exactly what he's going to say. <laughs> so much so that even your church wind up hiring you once you've retired to be the global missions director, right? As a matter of fact, that, that is a true statement, yes. How about that? So now that's your job in, as you have left the corporate world. To uh, connecting the church to the global church, how about that? Um, that's that's where you come into this perspective of um, I'm a blessed man. Yeah, and there's a saying of some people that have had a lot to do in my spiritual life. Of um, you know, someone asks you how you're doing, and I say better than I deserve. And you know, sometimes I feel like I'm the poster child for that. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, it is amazing if I set back. 20 years ago and and all the experiences I've had and and many other people that I've known that have gone on trips with me or different trips have come back and poured their lives into a ministry here or overseas and I've seen the transformation mm-hmm. happen that uh, uh, it's a it's a very interesting path to to end up being able to serve in this way um, it doesn't feel like a job no oh, I'm sure. So what do you say to the person, who, because I know uh, you're trying to connect people from the pew, so to speak, to the mission field. What do you say to those people who say, hey, Michael, you don't have to go around the world to share God because there's people in my neighborhood that don't know, that don't know the Lord Jesus, and so why are you spending all that time and money and energy and effort to go all around the world? Well, that's a, I have been asked that question at least 100 times. Um, <laughs> 101 now. You know, the, in the early days, uh, I'm going to go back about a decade ago, one of the things that I found was many of the people that had gone on mission trips, and when I got involved in some kind of local outreach or in small groups or in serving in disaster relief, there was a pretty big intersection of the people that went overseas mm. that were serving here. Ah, Okay. So they weren't just serving overseas. They weren't just serving here. I think we have a tendency to talk about the trips and the experiences. But what I found more often than not, that people that went on mission trips that had never been on one before, if they were not connected into some kind of local ministry or outreach, it opened up a door. Because mm-hmm. we're going on short-term mission trips, you know, one week out of the year, two weeks out of the year. Mm. There's 51 other weeks yeah. you know, to be able to pour into others and serve them. And I found that it ended up becoming a catalyst for many people to find a way to plug in and serve those in need in our communities and here in the United States. So it stirred their heart to serve, whether it was around the world or right here locally. Uh, It does. And there's one individual that stands out. He uh, went to Costa Rica with us back in 2003 or four, if I can remember right. And he was digging a hole for a septic tank. And he came out of that that hole at the end of the week, and he said, this is not my mission field. You know, and fast forward to 20 years later, he's heavily involved in, in uh, disciple-making, disciple training, and leading a mission trip of disciple-makers into Europe. So, um, you know, you, you, you never know what that environment, if you put yourself in a position to serve others, how God might speak to you and how that might change your life yeah. and those around you. We had one of our pastors that said something uh, during an offering prayer one day. I don't even know if he really thought through it that much, but it just really stuck with me. He said, you know, it's wonderful. It's it's good when you can write a check uh, for somebody going on a mission trip. Uh, and then for others, it's good if you can go. Um, he said, but then there are the third group that 
it's really good if you can write a check and go yourself. And we find ourselves in different seasons of life. Maybe if you're a, a single dad or you've got a, or you're a mom with two little ones, you just can't necessarily go around the world at this time. But the seasons of life come and they change. And um, it's just my personal belief, Michael, and I, I, I hope you'll agree with this, that everybody should go on a mission trip at some point in their in their life. You agree? I absolutely agree. And and um, because it started later in my life, you know, I was uh, past 40 when that first experience happened, but my daughter was on that mission trip with me. How about that? Um, I, I would encourage people, uh, families, go as a family, you know, the opportunity to you know, share your faith and experience this together. I mean, there are some locations that aren't conducive for families, but there's some that are. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think it should become a, a family goal. That's a great idea. That is a great idea. For more information, check out our website, 419disciplemakers.org. Join us again next week as we continue our conversation on the 419 Disciple Makers podcast.